Judges chapter 11 is where we're going to be. I, uh, believe it or not, I was goofier looking as a child than I am right now. What? I know, I know, you're shocked. But just imagine this, just imagine this. So I'm six foot tall right now, that's how, that's how tall, my driver's license says it, I promise. I'm six foot tall, that's what my driver's license says, but when I was in elementary school, and really all the way up to like eighth grade, I... I was, uh, I was like four foot, and my head was still this size. So if you can imagine, if you can imagine in your head, it's like, I wonder what a bobblehead looks like in real life. Cade Pierce. That's what a bobblehead looks like in real life. That's what was happening. So one of the more terrifying, uh, moments of my elementary and junior high career was when these, when, when these words were spoken by somebody at recess, Hey, form a line. We're going to have to pick teams. I'm like, Oh dear Jesus, this is not what I want to do right now. Right. And I'm getting, ang- I'm getting hot. I'm getting anxious. I'm like, Oh my God. Why? Because I don't want to get picked last, right? Like nobody wants to get picked last. Like some of you in here, you're like, well, I was a freak athlete at six because I had puberty then. And like I had chest hair. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I wasn't that. Thanks. So I'm standing in the line and I'm like, oh, I just don't want to get picked last. I don't want to get picked last. Like, let me get picked in the middle. I know I'm not going to get picked first. Fine. Like, nobody's the freak six foot tall, like third grader. It's fine. You can go. Everybody's going to pick him first. Just let me get picked in the middle because nobody wants to get picked last. When you get picked last, what you're really saying is you're a scrub and I don't want you on my team, but you're here and I don't want to be mean to you. Right? And nobody wants to be the kid that, like, the teams argue over, like, no, no, we, really, you can have them. Like, nobody wants to be that kid. You're like, you know, I just don't want to play. Like, forget it. Right? So, I mean, just those are the most anxious moments of my elementary and junior high career. And for some of you, those times were like, that's when I shined. When I was like, form a line, we're going to pick teams. You're like, let's be honest. I'm just going to go ahead and go on your team now. And then you can pick whoever's going to be second. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. I wasn't that kid. But I say that to say this. is I wonder if that's how we think about uh, how God picks us to use us that we really that we really think about we really think about god just lining us up in this cosmic uh team picking line he's like "Eh, you're too broken you haven't read your bible enough today uh you haven't gone to church in three weeks i don't think so and you just see this it's like i hope god picks me on his team and maybe some of you maybe some of you are the other way maybe you're like you just walk in you're like god let's be honest whoever you're picking second because i'm gonna be on your team and maybe, you're, maybe you don't understand it like that. But the reality is, is that all throughout millennia, since, since humans existed, God has, been, God has been selecting and using people from across the board. Some people were great, and they went on to do great things. Some people were short little shepherd boys in a field, then ended up slaying a giant for the glory of God. It was the kid that nobody would have picked. And all across the board, this is how God picks and uses people in the kingdom. And so we started this series last week called Almost Famous. And we're looking at these, some people in the scriptures that really, that if we read through the scriptures, they're not really the celebrated heroes. It's not necessarily David. It's not Paul. It's not like, it's not that, those kinds of Moses, those big heroes of the faith. It's, it's people 
that were fairly ordinary and really kind of like messed up. Their, their worlds were messed up. Their lives were messed up. But God brought them into his story. God, by his grace, invited them into his story and used them for his glory and the advancement of his story. And that's unbelievable. And so what I want to do is look at these people's lives and say, okay, what can we learn from them? What, what made them the kind of people that were used by God? And so last week we looked at Rahab. A Canaanite prostitute that God used to hide the spies and advance the people into the promised land. And this week we're going to look at a story from Judges chapter 11. You stay in Judges chapter 11. I'm going to read to you Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 32 through 34 says this. And what more shall we say? For time would fail, fail, fail me to tell of Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is Hebrews 11. This is the hall of faith. This is the, the, the people that the author of Hebrews were putting before these Jewish Christians and saying, what do you want to know about these people that have lived before us? These, all these people are great heroes of the faith. And it mentions this one guy in there that we really don't like, we misspell all the time. We really don't think about his name is Jephthah. Jephthah. You're like, nobody speaks like that today. You're right because he's Jewish and we're not. So his name, Jephthah. And this is story in Hebrews. In, Judges chapter 11 that walks through how God uses Jephthah. So let me lead us into how we got to Judges chapter 11. So in Joshua, they walk into the promised land. And they start to, they start to just slaughter folks. Because God said, take the land. It's not just like, hey, go into this land that nobody's ever been in. That's not true. Because there's Canaanites there. There's all kinds of people there. It's just like, go in, get battle ready because you're going to have to fight some folks. So they go in and they fight people and they take the land. They're in the promised land. They're like, thank God we were in the desert 40 years. It was hot out there. There's actually food here. This is great. We love the promised land. But guess what happened? They didn't slay everybody. It goes through in the beginning of Judges and tells all of the people that the that the Israelites did not take out. They left people in the land. God told you to take out everybody, but you didn't do that. Well, why would God tell them to take out everybody? Because they worshiped other gods. They didn't worship the one true God. And so God didn't want his people to get confused and start to bow down to idols. But guess what happened when they left all the people in the land? They started to bow down to idols. They said, huh, those uh, Canaanite women are kind of pretty. So I'd like to take her on a date on my donkey. So they start to intermarry. And as they intermarry, these Hebrew people, these people that are supposed to be devoted to Yahweh, the one true God, begin to bow down to idols. And they begin to worship false gods. And then we roll into the book of Judges. And you see this phrase over and over in the book of Judges. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And over and over again, at the beginning of Judges, in the beginning of chapters in Judges, you see, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Because they had just drifted that far. They had, I mean, not that long ago, they walked into the promised land, but all those people, all those people that God had rescued and brought into the promised land, they have died off and their kids were raising up. And it said, it says in Judges, this was a generation that didn't know the Lord. And so really the book of Judges is a sad, sad story. Of the rebellion of the people of God. But what God does in his grace is he raises up judges. And don't think like swinging a hammer judge. Not that kind of judge. But like military leader judge. God raises up judges to lead his people to take over the land. To take out the Canaanites. To take out the Moabites. To take out the Ammonites. God raises up judges to lead the military conquest into the land. Why? Because God loves his people and he's taking care of them. 
And so God raises up judges over and over and over and over again. And we get to Judges chapter 11, and there's a situation going on. And the king of the Ammonites comes to the elders of the Israelites, and he's like, hey, you guys stole my land. You want to fight? And they're like, I don't want to fight you, man. That's not fun. But they're freaking out because they don't have a judge at this point. Their judge has just died. So they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We're just like, okay, let's just start bowing down to some idols. Maybe they'll come through for us. I don't really know what to do. So here's what happens. They go to this guy named Jephthah. Who is Jephthah? Jephthah is a illegitimate kid, meaning he had a dad and he was born of a prostitute. Not like his biological, like dad and mom, but like... Dad got with a prostitute. Prostitute gave birth to Jephthah. Jephthah and his brothers don't have the same mom. It's that kind of situation. It's real bumpy. It's like, is this Jerry Springer? No, it's not. It's the Bible. That's what's happening. And so he's an illegitimate kid, but he's a great warrior. And he, ra- he, he grows up and his brothers grow up and they're old enough. And finally that his brothers are like, hey, you don't have the same mom as us. We need you to leave. So they literally shove him out. They're like, you can't be in our house anymore. We don't like you. See ya. And they shove him out. And the Bible says that he like, he leaves. Like who would do that? He's like, okay, all right, fine. Like what? So he leaves, he leaves and he goes and it says that he hangs out with some like people that aren't so great. But the elders are freaking out. The king of the Ammonites has just come to them. He's just come to them. And they're like, hey, uh, you saw our land. We're going to fight you. And they're like, uh, we don't have anybody to lead us into this battle. What are we going to do? Hey, remember Jephthah, the dude we kicked out not too long ago? He was a pretty good warrior. Let's go ask him if he'll help us. So they run off and find Jephthah and they're like, hey, bro, um, you know, you've always been our favorite, right? Uh, can you come back and help us? And he's like, I'm sorry, me? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you just come help us? And then God starts to invite Jephthah into his story. To lead his people, to take the land that God has given to them. And so what I want to do through this account in Judges chapter 11 is just ask the question, what can we learn from Jephthah? What? What allowed him to be used by God? What are the things that we can learn? And here's what I want you to understand. That throughout this one and the other accounts that we read in the weeks to come, these accounts are more about the glory and grace of God than they are about the people. Because what you see is these people make some real dumb decisions But God in his grace and for his glory uses them anyway. And that's really the better part of that story. So let's ask these questions. What do we learn from Jephthah? The first thing we learn is this. He was used by God because he did not use his story as an excuse. He did not use his story as an excuse. He did not say to God, like, hey, I know, like, I know that like, uh, these people are calling me to come and lead them, but I can't do that. Like, I don't have the same mom as them. I'm an illegitimate kid. I can't do this. Like, my home life's pretty jacked up, God, so I can't, I can't do this. He doesn't use his story as an excuse. He doesn't use it. He said, well, I was abandoned by my family. He doesn't say to God, like, well, God, they don't even like me. Like, what do you want me to do, man? He doesn't, he doesn't use... He doesn't use the fact that he attracted the wrong crowd. Look down at uh, Judges chapter 11, verse 3. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. We wouldn't call them worthless fellows. We would just say, like, those are some bad dudes. You probably shouldn't be around them. But he doesn't use any of that. The fact that he was an illegitimate kid. The fact that his brothers shoved him out. The fact that he hung around the wrong people. He doesn't use any of that as an excuse for why God can't use him. He doesn't pitch that back to the elders and say, I'm not the guy you want. I don't have everything together. You can't, you can't use me. I can't lead this deal. He doesn't use his story as an excuse for why God 
can't use him. And so maybe the question to you needs to be this. What pieces of your story, what pieces of your story are you using for reasons why God can't use you? Well, God, I come from a pretty broken family. God, I don't get it right all the time. God, God, I've made some mistakes in my past. I'm not sure that you can use me. What pieces of your story are you holding up and saying, God, you can't use me because of fill in the blank. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't have the right family. I don't have the right friends. I don't have the right grades. I don't have the right whatever. I haven't read the Bible enough. What is it about your story? What is it about your past mistakes or the way that you're living now that you throw to God and say, you can't use me because of this? Because here's really what's happening. When you give God excuses for why he can't use you, it really says more about what you think about God than what you think about yourself. It really shows that you think God's way too small to pull that off. If you're throwing excuses to God why he can't use you, what you're exposing is that you have a really small picture of how powerful God is. Because if God is not powerful enough to just pull your mess back together and use you, he's really not a God to be worshipped, is he? But what we see over and over again in the scriptures is that God is taking people in their mess and using them for his glory. Don't throw your excuse to a powerful God. Come to, the, come to him and say, God, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. But I know that you're big enough to take this and do unbelievable things with it. He doesn't use it, his past as an excuse for why God can't use him. The second thing we see is he entrusted his future to the Lord. He entrusted his future to the Lord. Look at verse 9, chapter 11, verse 9. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. They ask him, they're like, hey, bro, will you come and lead us? We need somebody to like, help us take out these people. The Ammonites are pretty mad at us. Can you help us? And this is what he says to them. In a great statement of faith, he goes, you know what? I, I'll go with you if the Lord gives them into my gets them into our hand. If the Lord leads us, if the Lord does what he says that he'll do, then great, I'll do it. But I'm trusting the Lord here. Look down again at verse 27. Jephthah says, I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide the day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. So what has happened here? So finally, uh, Jephthah goes to the people of, of Ammon. He goes to the Ammonites and he's like, listen, uh, we didn't actually steal your land. You're mad at us, but we didn't steal your land. And honestly, this is a 300-year-old like argument and nobody's, nobody's really upset about it except for you. We didn't take your land. He's like, yeah, you did take our land. He's like, no, we didn't. God gave us this land. We walked through, told the people like, hey, can we just pass through here? We're trying to get to the promised land. Like Yahweh told us we can go there. And they're like, no, you can't, you can't do that. So we fought them. And you know what happened? God gave us the land. We killed them because God was taking us somewhere. So we didn't steal it like our God gave it to us. So if our God gave it to us, it's not that we stole it. It's that he just gave it to us. It's a gift. So we have to receive it because he's God and we're not. And the Ammonite king's not good enough with that. He's like, I, honestly, I don't care. I think you took our land and we're going to fight you. And so what, is, what does Jephthah do? He says, okay. Then the Lord be the judge who ought to do this, who ought to get this land. The Lord be the judge. 
He'll do what's right. And a great statement of faith. He says, I trust the Lord. He'll give us what we need. He'll give us and set what is right. Notice he doesn't, he doesn't keep arguing with the Ammonite king. He doesn't say, but it's not fair. He doesn't put his hands on it and say, no, but you've got to understand. Like he doesn't shake him and say like, would you wake up? You're missing it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't stick his hands back in it and say, I, I just need to control this. I need to make sure that we win. He goes, I trust the Lord. I trust that God's going to judge exactly what needs to happen because he trusts God with the future and God uses him. So the question to you is, are there parts of your future that you don't trust God to take care of? Are there parts of your future that you don't trust God to take care of? So you, so you take control of it. Are there parts of your future that you don't trust God to take care of? So you take control of it. Maybe for some of you, that's school. Some of you juniors and seniors, you're thinking college right now. And the last thing you're thinking is, what does God want? You're thinking, what do I want? You're not giving that to God. You're not trusting him to take control of that. You have a dream in your head and you're chasing it and you've left God on the sideline. Because honestly, you're not sure that God would give you what you want. And if God gave you what you needed, you don't think that that's best. And you don't trust God with the future. So you put your hands on it. And you squeeze it and you hold it. And you're like, it's got to be this way, God. If you don't give it to me this way, you failed me. Some of you, it's not, even about, it's not even about college, it's about grades. You think about future stuff and you're like, dear Jesus, if I ever got to be, I'm probably like the biggest city on the planet. You don't, tr- like, and you don't trust God to take control of that. Like, what would happen if you got to be? Like, the world wouldn't explode, I promise. Some of you in here are like, man, it'd be awesome if God would let me get a B. That'd be great. <laughs> Some of you, you take control of school. You're like, God, you stay over there. Like, I'm all for church and all that Jesus stuff. But God, you don't, you don't play a part in how I do school. Well, then what, would, what would like giving God control of the future with that stuff look like? What if, you, what if you just worked your butt off and studied and left the results to God? Some of you want to take control of your grades so much that you do ridiculous stuff like Cheat. Because you just have to have the control. You have to have the A. If you don't get the A, you're the biggest failure on the planet. You don't trust God with the future. Maybe it's not academics for some of you. It's, it's like athletics. It's social stuff. You take control of your social life because you have to reach the tier of popularity. You're like, I can, like, Kate, you don't understand. I have dreamed of standing on the top of the mountain in high school with my litter jacket on, looking down at everyone and saying, bow down to me. I am the king of this place. <laughs> And so you take control and do ridiculous stuff. You'll compromise over and over again. You'll compromise, you'll compromise yourself socially. You'll, comprom- you'll, you'll say, I'm a Christian all day long. But then you'll do whatever it takes for the people to accept you because you have to be popular. You have to take control. You don't trust God with the future. You don't trust that God's given you the right personality to have the friends that you need for the season of life that you're in. Like I promise you, you'll leave high school I, I promise you, because believe it or not, I went to high school once. But listen, you will leave high school and everything that you thought in your head that matters, 
no one will care about. No one will care. No one will care about your letter jacket. No one will care that you were all state. No one will care how popular you are. Nobody will care. Some of you are going to go on to huge universities that are 40,000, 50,000 students. And nobody will care about your high school. And so what are you going to pull your life into? Your social status? Is it going to matter? Like, should you have friends? Yeah, great. Have friends. God's pro-friends. But if you're just trying to get certain friends, like, God, I have to have these friends. And you're compromising all over the place to get those friends. Really, it seems like you're just trying to take control of your future. You don't trust God to give you what you need. Well, maybe it's not, maybe it's not academics. Maybe it's not athletics or social life. Maybe, maybe you don't trust God with the future with relationships at all. And you know that you're this kind of person that you don't trust God with relationships because you constantly have to have somebody. You constantly have to be dating somebody or to be talking to somebody to be dating them. Because you think, Cade, if I don't get a boyfriend or a girlfriend right now, I'm probably not going to get married. It's like, you're 14, you're going to be fine. But you think this, you're like, well, who wants to be alone? Like, Kate, if I, if I, don't, if I don't date right now, if I don't have somebody, I'm going to be the biggest loser on the planet, and I'm going to be 45 years old, and like, I'm not, I'm not going to be married. I'm going I'm to be the crazy cat lady. What do you want me to do? <laughs> like, why is that? Why is that the result? Why is that where it has to go? Why do you, so this is what you do. You just grab on to whoever. Girls, you think this way? You think I have to have somebody. If I don't have somebody, I'm not going to get married. And I really want to get married. God to put that desire in me. Like I want to be a wife. But so like if I don't have somebody right now, what am I going to do? Like is God not going to give them to me? Don't I have to take control of this? So you just, you just sink your claws into it. And you know what you do? You compromise and you date some moron. Who doesn't care about you. Who's only after himself. And then you look on the backside, wounded and hurt and broken, and you, and you wonder, what happened? What happened? It's not just girls. Guys, you do this too. You think, I, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be alone. Like if, you're, like if you really thought about it, you, and if you're really honest about it, you're just as insecure as girls are. But you play it off. You play it off. Hell, go, it's not a big deal, whatever. I'm the Lone Ranger. Like, whatever, dude. <laughs> but you know this because you constantly have to be texting some, some girl. You constantly have to be, have the attention of some girl. And so this will, what, what happens is, is you, just, you just sink your claws in. You know what happens? Is you push the limits with a girl physically because you have to feel like you have the affection of somebody. Because if you don't, you feel like you're going to be alone forever. And you compromise and you bust boundaries because you're trying to take control. And the whole time, you could serve a God who doesn't just have control of the future, He is already in the future. Like He is there. He's not, he doesn't just know what the future has, He is currently in the future. 
You're like, well, how does that work? He's God. It's fine. You don't have to understand. But this is the deal. God's just not like a fortune teller in the sky. God is in the future. He knows the future. He is in the future. So why would we not? Why would we not bring every bit of that? What school we go to, the social status that we have, the relationships that we desire to be in. Why would we not lay that down at God's feet and say, you do what you want. And if I get married at 20, awesome. If I get most popular, awesome. Or if I get married at 45, God, I don't care. Because I believe that you're the king and that I'm not and you know best. Psalm 46.10 says it like this. Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. You know what that really means? What he's really, not be still. It's really just like, just stop. Just cease striving for a little bit. Like if we were bringing in the 2017, just like, just chill out. Would you just relax and know that I'm God and you're not? I've got the future. You live for me now. And trust that I'm going to bring you the people that you need to be around, the places that you need to go. You trust me. Okay, does that mean we just sit there while God, like God just makes us move? No. Do stuff. Work hard. But if your plan gets blown up along the way while you're serving God, it's probably better. Because God knows best. God knows best. So let's trust him with the future. So he doesn't use his story as an excuse. He trusts God with the future. The third thing is, what do we learn about Jephthah and why God used him? Is that he had the spirit of God with him. Look at verse 29. Chapter 11, verse 29. It says, Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. He had the spirit of God on him, with him. The Holy Spirit was with Jephthah, and God used him because of that. So what is it for us? Romans 8, verse 9 through 11 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. This is speaking of people that are Christians. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Check this out, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is what the Bible just said. The exact same spirit that was on Jephthah and the exact same spirit that got Jesus up from the dead. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's in your body. That's unbelievable. So if you've ever, ever thought in your head, hey, I understand that God's called me to this, but I don't know if I've got what it takes. Here's your answer. You don't have what it takes. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in your body and that gives you everything you need to do exactly what God has called you to do. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do everything that God has, God has called you to do. That, that might be outrageous. You may, you, God may call you to unbelievable things, things that you look at and you go, there's no way I'm going to do that, God. I cannot do that. Do you know how awkward of a person I am? That is not what I'm going to do. The Holy Spirit that lives in your body that got Jesus up from the dead is going to give you everything that you need to do exactly what God has said to do. 
The problem is, is we don't believe that God is actually powerful enough to do that. Maybe it's because we don't understand what the Holy Spirit, like, what he does. We just feel like, is he like some, like, freaky ghost thing? Like, I don't know. Or maybe it's because we just straight up doubt. Like, I'm just not sure that God can do that. Either way, we need to understand this. That if you're a Christian, if you're in here and you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's nothing. There's nothing that God will call you to. That he doesn't give you the power to do. Nothing. Now, does that mean that we can do whatever the heck we want? Like, okay, so I have the Holy Spirit. Does that mean I can walk through this wall? Sweet. No. You will hit the wall and then fall down. Right? It's not that, like, don't make it ridiculous. But let's, let's trust God that he gives us what we need. Like, do you, like, Jeff is a great warrior. Awesome. But do you really think he's got what it takes to slay an army? Probably not. But the Holy Spirit of God is on him. You know what happens? He wins. Not because he's a great warrior. Not because he's a great leader. But because God was with him. Because God was with him. So you trust God to give you exactly what you need to do exactly what he's called you to. The Holy Spirit lives in your body. Last thing. Why does God use Jephthah? What do we learn from it? Is that God used him, God used Jephthah, despite Jephthah's own foolishness. God used Jephthah despite his own foolishness. Look at verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. That seems like a really cool thing. Like, God, I just, like, I promise you, if you give us these people, I'll give you whatever you want. And that sounds all well and good, but you know what it is? It's Jephthah doubting that God is going to come through. So he's trying to make a deal with God. God, if you give me this, I'll give you this. But listen to me. If you don't hear anything that I say, you need to hear this. That is not our God. God is not looking to you and say, Hey, do you have something good that you can trade with me so that I'll use you? Forever. God has been saying, you have nothing to offer me but I'm going to use you anyway. And that's why, that's why God's grace is so incredible. Because we come empty-handed. And God invites us in anyway because of his son Jesus. And says, I'm going to use you for my glory with all your baggage. He's not looking for a trade. He's looking for willingness to say, you're God, I'm not. This is your story. The story goes on for Jephthah. He made this vow to God. God gives him the land and they beat the Ammonites. And he said, whatever, whatever, the first thing that walks through my door, God, the first thing that walks through my door, I'll give to you. You know the first thing that walks through his door when he gets home? His daughter. And so, Jephthah slaughters his daughter on an altar as a sacrifice to God. But if you're like, well, he kept his word. No. What he did was sin. Because the law strictly forbids human sacrifice. And he did it anyway. He didn't have to keep the vow. You don't fix sin with more sin. You fix sin with repentance on the cross. And Jephthah comes 
and he blows it. And yet God uses him anyway. So much so that he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of the faith. This dude did some great thing with the Ammonites and then blows it and loses his daughter. So if you think, Cade, I can't do that. I haven't gotten it perfect all the time. You don't know how many times I've blown it. You haven't killed your kid. And God's still using people that make mistakes like that. Well, does that mean we can just keep making mistakes? No, it costs him and I bet it hurt. So we're not looking for mistakes, but we're also not using them as excuses for why God can't use us either. God is inviting you in to his story. And if God used Jephthah, why can't he use you? Why? You don't have a reason. 